Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 7 and Psalm chapter 11. Just kind of mark Psalm, we'll get back to that in just a few minutes. Remember to be with us Wednesday night at 7 right here in the sanctuary as well. We had a great crowd last Wednesday night. This week we're in Philippians chapter 2. And I encourage you to come and be a part, hear the Word of God, learn from it, be encouraged and inspired so that you can be an inspiration to those around you as well. Amen? Thank you again for your faithfulness and giving because of you were able to help people like Kevin and Heather Summer Sneed in Kenya and other missionaries around the world, as well as our local partners right here, as well as promoting and advancing the ministries that are within the church. So your giving is so vital, so important to continue the building and the expansion of the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for having the vision to partner with us. We appreciate that. Hey, did you hear about the Sunday school teacher that was teaching on the Ten Commandments? After she explained, honor your father and mother, then she said to her five and six-year-old class, well, is there a commandment that talks about how you should treat your brothers and sisters? One little five-year-old didn't miss a beat. He said, yeah, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> if you've had siblings, you understand that. You get it. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about foundations and how important they are to us and what it means in our lives. You see, we don't become what we want to be. We become what we believe. That's an absolute truth. Therefore, your foundation is essential to becoming who God wants you to be. It's based on your beliefs, what you hold as evident, what you believe is absolute and concrete in your heart and in your life. You'll find that the scripture speaks of, in 53 different references, four different types of foundations. First, it speaks about the foundation of the world. You can see that in John 17, where Jesus said to the Father, you've loved me from before the foundations of the world. That speaks of creation. From creation, it's a foundation. Secondly, it speaks of construction. You can see it written time and time again, whether it's either in, a, in the form of an allegory, whether it's in the form of, uh, of an actual construction, that foundations are used in construction. Matter of fact, you'll see it time and again when it also refers to our faith in Jesus Christ and our faith in God. 1 Corinthians 3.11, the Bible says, No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ, our foundation. He is the bedrock of our faith. In Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief corner stone. You also find Peter using that same reference from, from Psalms 118 in Acts chapter 4 when he's preaching the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem. It's interesting when we talk about the foundation being the center point of our faith, that we understand the stone which the builders rejected. That was Jesus Christ. Do you understand that when the temple was being built, the stone was quarried right there from Jerusalem, what's called Solomon's quarries. And there was a huge stone that for some reason the builders cast aside. They said it doesn't fit. It doesn't work at this time. It's not appropriate. They threw it aside and it stayed in the weeds for years and years and years. Do you understand that many have rejected Jesus Christ 
But that doesn't mean he isn't the foundation of our faith, the rock upon which we build our lives. He is the cornerstone. And then it talks about the cornerstone, as, or the foundation, pardon me, as the order of society. In other words, governmental structure, societal order. We're going to talk about those last two only this morning. First, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And second, the foundations of society, governmental order, and how that applies to you and I today. So look with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus said these words, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Why? Because the foundation was wrong. The foundation wouldn't support the structure. The foundation wouldn't hold it up when storms came. Now, anytime Jesus uses a parable to teach us, he does it to change the way we think, to change the way we act, to change the way we understand God, ourselves, and the world in general. And he wanted this particular parable to impact the way we live. Matter of fact, if you look in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James says, you're responsible for practicing the truth that you've received. Well, now that goes over like a lead balloon, doesn't it? I want to come to church, I want the preacher to make me feel good, I want the music to be good, and then I want to go live the way I want to live. No, that's not the way it works. You're responsible for the truth you receive. You're responsible to act upon that truth, to live out that truth, to make it a part of your life every day. You see, it's easy when we understand, when I receive revelation from God's Word, when I receive truth from God's Word, God expects me to put that into practice, to walk it out, to live it out. That's why I've told you at least 100,000 times in seven years that you should not be the same person you were last year. There should be some change happening in your life every single day. When you look back, you can say, oh yeah, that's what I used to be, but this is who I am. That's what I used to do, but this is what I do now. That used to be a problem, but by the blood of the Lamb, I've overcome that problem. You should not be the same person you were last year if you're practicing the truth you've received. If you're walking in that revelation. Jesus actually used the parable we just read to explain the previous one. It's amazing how he does that. He tells a story to explain a story. So let's look at the one just before, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the beam of judgment seat. When believers stand before Christ and he separates sheep from goats. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, in your name, drive out demons, in your name, perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Wow. So we hear that, and then he gives us the parable of the builder, building your house on the rock, not the sand. 
The parable of the builder is used to explain the previous one. And what he's saying is, if you've received revelation, if you receive knowledge and you don't act on it, it's of no avail to you. It's no good. Folks, do you understand that one day every one of us will stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Every one of us will account, give account for our lives. And what have we done for the kingdom since we accepted him as our Lord and Savior? Every one of us, our works are they going to be wood, hay, and stubble, or are they going to be gold and silver? What's it going to be? It all depends on do we practice what we've learned? Do we put into daily behaviors the revelation we have received from the Word of God? When I think about that and the parable I just read, that should have made people feel helpless. Well, Lord, if these people are doing miracles in your name and they still don't make it, where does that leave me? That's why he gave us the parable of the builder. He said, Here, here's the truth. Catch this. Listen. Don't miss this, he says. If you build your house on the rock... The storms will come, but when they come, you're not going to be shaken. You're not going to be moved. You're not going to be destroyed. Oh, listen to me, friend. We need to understand that Jesus didn't say, if the storm comes. He said, then the rains came and the winds blew and the streams rose. Do you understand that as long as you're walking in shoe leather, taking up space in this atmosphere, you're going to have some problems? Just the way it is. Christianity doesn't isolate you or make you immune from the problems of life. What it does is it gives you the strength to walk through them with victory in your heart, a spring in your step, a smile on your face saying this too shall pass. It may be for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. I may be weeping in the night, but dawn is fixing to break. Things are going to change because I've heard the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord says I am more than a conqueror through him that loves us. So if you're one of those... I'm trying to choose my words. <laughs> if you're one of those weak-kneed, milk-toast, panty-waist Christians who think I should never have an issue, grow up. Because problems will come into your life. Sicknesses will come. Financial problems will occur. Spouses will turn their back. Children will rebel. Jobs will be lost. But the good news is, I serve the Lord who is over all of that, and you do too. So quit whining about your problems and begin praising the one who takes you through every one. Let God do something mighty and powerful in your life. Three things I want to share with you this morning, then I'm going to be done. And now you can go back to Psalm chapter 11. I want you to understand what you have to do when trouble comes. Because trouble's going to come. It's going to show up, and a lot of times, trouble doesn't bother to knock. It just kicks the door in. And it usually comes in the middle of the night, in the darkest hour, when you are not expecting it. Things are going so well. Your spouse loves you. Your kids are doing good in school. Things are going so well. Your job is good. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of your success, trouble shows up. What are you going to do? Psalm 11 is a psalm that was written while David was running from Saul, hiding for his very life. It's a psalm that many think should be paralleled or connected to Psalm 37. Do you know what David said in Psalm 37? He said, I've been young 
and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Oh, that ought to light somebody's fire this morning. That ought to make you want to jump up and shout hallelujah. There is a promise from God for you in that scripture. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Come on, folks. Hear the word of God. Understand the promise of God over your life. Quit focusing on the problem and focus on the one who solved it already. From the foundation of the world, he's resolved your problem. Look at Psalm 11, verse 1. The heading is to the chief musician. David wrote it. So this was meant to be a song. I was thinking last week after that country song, maybe Tom could rap this one. What do you think? You think that's a good idea, Pastor? Uh, Tom, you want to come up here? I got a mic. You want to rap this one for me? Or maybe it should be a little hip-hop. What do you think about that? Look at this. Read these words with me. I put my, Lord, I put my trust. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say? See, his advisors were saying to him, hey, it's really getting bad. Saul's going to wipe you out. He's going to destroy you. He's going to kill you. His advisors, his counselors, his friends, his inner circle. Let me pause for just a moment and tell you. Anytime your advisors tell you something contrary to the Word of God, you need to shut them off, tune them out, act like you're deaf. Don't hear a word. Because the Word is over any wisdom man may have. His advisors said, flee as a bird to the mountains. But David said, even though that's what you told me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Why? Because he knew God. He'd experienced God. He had walked with God. God had never failed him. God had never disappointed him. God had never let him down. And he learned that from an early age. He learned it when he was tending his daddy's sheep on the hillsides of Judea. He learned it when a lion came to take some of those sheep and kill them. But the lion was dead, not the sheep, because of David. He learned it when a bear came to effect the same thing, but the bear died instead of the sheep because of David. And then you know the story. There came a time when a giant of the Philistines was tormenting Israel. Isn't there a man among you who will come out and fight me, Goliath said? David was sent down to the camp of Israel just to take his brother some bread and some cheese. He wasn't sent down there to get involved in the conflict. He was just a delivery boy. But when he heard those words, something rose up in his spirit. And he said, I don't care who you are, you will not mock the name of my God. And he said to Saul, I'll go fight that giant. Just a boy, a teenager, I'm going to go do it. You know the story, Saul put his armor on him and said, no, that doesn't work. Listen, there's a lesson there. You need to quit quit trying to be like somebody else and be who God made you to be. Quit trying to wear somebody else's armor, get in the fight with what God has equipped you with and see the victory in the battles won. Quit trying to act like a mighty warrior when you've never fought a battle against a formidable enemy. Just do what God has already taught you to do. Pick up the rocks, put them in your sling and go in the name of the Lord. David said, I'm not running. I'm going to put my trust in God. Somebody needs to hear that today because you're on the verge of throwing in the towel. You're on the brink of giving in. You say things have gotten so rough in my life, I don't think God loves me anymore. Oh, really? 
want you to compare your life to the Apostle Paul's. We talked about this last Sunday and again on Wednesday night. Five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned once. He was in three shipwrecks. He spent a night and a day in the ocean along with all the other perils. Tell me you got it rough. Does it compare to that? I seriously doubt it. It's time to put on your big boy britches and move forward in Jesus Christ. David said, I'm not running. I'm going to put my trust in God. Listen, you'll have an opportunity every day, sometimes many times a day, to say, I'm going to run from that one. I'm going to flee from that one. I don't think that's a battle I want to engage in. But the scripture tells us, put your trust in the Lord. If you really believe he is the rock, the foundation of your salvation, if you believe he is the bread of life, if you believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, if you believe he is the living water, if you believe he is the door, if you believe he is the only way, put your trust in Jesus Christ and quit running and stand firm in him. Let him show you what he'll do in your heart and in your life. David was living in an unprecedented time. He'd been anointed to be the new king over Israel to replace Saul. Because Saul had disobeyed God. And God said, I'm done with that jerk. You guys want a king, I want to get you another king. Samuel went down to the house of Jesse, looked at seven of Jesse's sons and said, nope, none of these are the one. Don't you have any more boys? Jesse said, well, there's one. He's out tending the sheep. Send for him. When he came, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, This is the one. Arise and anoint him. And the Bible says from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord rested upon David. What am I saying? I'm saying when you step into that place God wants you to be, there comes an anointing. There comes a presence of Holy Spirit that will break every barrier, that will destroy all fear, that will cause you to do things that don't make any sense because God is moving in you and through you. That's good preaching. Somebody ought to say amen. Would you folks online help me out? These folks aren't helping me this morning. I need some help. Thank you very much. We need to understand, he said, in God, I will put my trust. Write this down and remember it. Because this is where a lot of Christians are at right now. They're sitting on the sidelines. They folded their hands. Well, when COVID's over. Well, when the election is over. Well, when the stock market stabilizes. Well, when I know my retirement account is secure, then I will do what God's asking me to do. David did not sit on the sidelines waiting for peaceful times in order to obey God. He got involved in the conflict. He refused to run from the fight. And he said, I put my trust in God. Don't wait for peaceful times to follow God's will for your life. So many times people have said to me, I believe this is what God's asking me to do. Okay, that's wonderful. I'll agree with you. Let's pray about it. But I can't do it right now. Why not? If God's asking you to do something, he's already qualified your timeline. He's already given you every resource you need. Step out and begin following him by faith and watch the doors open before you. But as long as you refuse to move until circumstances change, until times are peaceful again, you will never see the glory, the power, 
the wonder, the miracles of Jesus Christ at work in your life. You've got to be willing to step out in peaceful times and follow him. I know I'm talking to somebody today. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe you're in this house. Maybe you'll watch next week. But I'm talking to somebody who's adopted that posture. You said when things get better, then. When things change, then. But God is saying to you this morning, now is then. Now is then. Stop waiting, begin walking, and see what God will do in your life. Now is then. He didn't wait for peaceful times. He didn't wait for things to be perfect. He didn't wait for circumstances to be favorable. He didn't wait until everything was towards his advantage. He moved on. Somebody needs to get up, get in gear, and do what God is asking you to do. Here's the problem. In troubled times, when the rains come, when the winds come, when the streams rise, in troubled times, we often make permanent decisions based on emotional moments. And that's wrong. My friend, in troubled times, the decisions we make have to be based on the Word of God. This is what God declared over my life. This is what God has spoken to me. This is what God has proven to me again and again and again. He's shown me He's the Lord who shall not fail. He's shown me I can call upon Him, and He will hear and answer me, and show me great and mighty things which I've never known. He's shown me He's got a power and might of grace and mercy. He never fails. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He never does anything wrong for my life, but He only brings good to my life. I can trust Him in troubled times. In troubled times. Don't wait. And don't make decisions based on temporary circumstances that have a permanent outcome. David's counselors are saying to him, you need to run. We to the hills. And he said, nah, we're going to do this the way I've always learned to do it. I will put my trust in the Lord. Listen, when the diagnosis is bad, put your trust in the Lord. When the bank account is empty... Put your trust in the Lord. He's already said, I am the God that healeth thee. He's already said, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Put your trust in the Lord. See, I've determined years ago, and I want you to write this down. It's a great statement. It's what I live by. I would rather face the danger than distract the plan. I would rather face the danger than distract the plan. God has a plan for my life, and there will be days when danger is ahead of me. There will be days when circumstances are against me. There will be days when I'm tempted to flee to the mountains, to get out of Dodge. But in those times, I've got to come to the place where I say, I'd rather face the danger with Jesus than be distracted from his plan for my life. I'd rather face the danger than be distracted from the plan. See, in those troubled times, because the storms do come, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, they will come. You have to make a choice. Do I flee or do I fight? Those are the only two options. There are no others. You can flee or you can fight. David said, I will put my trust in the Lord. 
Secondly, number two, look at verse two of Psalm 11. This is his counselors again saying to him, for look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. You know what they're saying? They're saying they're fixing to take you out. You're about to be a statistic. You're about to have that final date stamped on your tombstone. You're dead. They've already got the bow bent, the arrow notched. All they have to do is release it. And when they release it, it's not coming in the day where you see it coming. It's coming in secret. It's coming from behind you. It's coming in the dark of the night. It's coming from, be with me, stay with me, from someone you never expected to turn against you. It's coming from a friend, from a loved one. But when it comes, it's not going to destroy you. It's not going to overcome you. It's not going to take you out. Oh, hear me. I love that song that Tom sang again this morning. No, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever stand against what Christ has done for me. Friend, I've said this to you a hundred times. Stop fearing death. You've got an appointed time. Live your life. Face the danger. Don't be distracted from the plan. And let God show you how great and mighty He is. You know the problem? There's a lot of Christians who don't think God is powerful because they've never tried Him. Every time something comes up in their life, they go stick their head in the sand and they say, well, I guess God doesn't love me or wouldn't have let this half this happen to me. Are you kidding me? He's trying to take you through the fire to purify you, to make you strong. I said it last week, I'll say it again. When you're in conflict, it doesn't reveal who you are. It reveals what you have in you. If you got Jesus in you, you can face any battle, face any conflict, and go through without distraction. He said, the enemy says you're finished. He's going to attack you at night. He's going to come from where you least expect it. But then number three. Look at verse 3, Psalm 11. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, this word foundations is talking about the order of society. It's talking about what we see happening around us. It's talking about world affairs. Now, think about where was David at? He was at a place where he was supposed to be the king, but the current king was trying to kill him. The whole nation was against him. He was hiding out in caves, drinking from streams, killing wild animals to survive. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, according to man's thought. But in that place, it seemed that the foundations are being destroyed. Societal order is being destroyed. Government order is being destroyed. So the scripture says in that place, what do the righteous do? What do the righteous do? Let me ask you. Don't you think we're in that place again today? Where the foundations of societal order are being destroyed? Think about it for just a moment. 62 million babies aborted. That's destruction. Think about it. Where is Planned Parenthood at? They're not in Golden Eagle. They're in West Tennessee. They're there for a reason with a plan. Margaret Sanger had one. She was a raging racist who wanted to destroy as many little ethnic babies as she possibly could because she believed in white supremacy and she started Planned Parenthood. Now, make the jump with me. Our government wants to fund it. 
yet we're against racism. No, we're not. The government's not against racism. That's a lie. 63 different genders. Are you kidding me? The Bible says there's male and female. Come on, male and female, not 62 others, just those. When the foundations fail, what do you base your life upon? That's what the scriptures say. Well, if you base your life on societal order, you're going to fall with it. But if you build your life on the rock, you will never fail. Hear me today, church. The election is not going to be your salvation, no matter which way you vote. Man cannot change what God has already set in motion to bring about his events at this point in time. And it doesn't matter if Trump is in or Biden is in. It's not going to be good. Love the way you're shouting now. A politician will never redeem you, rescue you, save you. He can't do it. He's there for himself. But there is one who loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ died for you even before you were born, before you were created in your mother's womb. He gave his life for you. There is one who's willing to shed his blood that you might be rescued, redeemed, and saved. So we live in a time when believers need to wake up. We have put so much emphasis on politics in the United States that we have missed the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm going to say it. If you're given more to the party of your choice than you are to the church of Jesus Christ, your priorities are screwed up. Wow. We may be looking for a new job next week. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. So get your resume ready. Believers have come to the place where they understand it's not about the United States of America. It's about the kingdom of God. Listen, I love the USA. I'm glad I'm a citizen. I've traveled the world and there is no better place. I'll tell you that straight out. But I'll also tell you, I'm not here to build the United States of America. I'm here to build the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Does that mean you shouldn't be involved in politics? Absolutely not. Be involved. Go vote. I encourage you to. You should do that. It's your right. But don't hang your hat and your future on who's in the White House. Hang your hat and your future on who's on the throne. Look at verse 4, Psalm 11. I'm going to be done here in just a second. Verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sorrows of men. From the message, it says it this way, and I love the message. But God hasn't moved to the mountains. His address hasn't changed. He's in charge as always. He's taking in everything, eyelids unblinking. Verse 7, God's business is putting things right. He loves getting the line straight and setting us straight. Once we're standing tall, we can look him in the eye. What did David say? He said, when the foundations of society crumble, this is what I do. I look up and I recognize the Lord is still in the heaven. And the Lord is still on his throne. And the Lord is still in charge. 
charge of the universe. He's not only creator, he's maintainer. And I'm going to put my trust in the one who built the foundations of the world and I will not be swayed. Stand to your feet this morning. God is here to speak into our hearts and into our lives. We live in a time when there is no order. Society has fell apart. But the good news is, the foundation of God stands sure. That throne that David referred to, that's his seat of authority. See, it's on the throne that God makes decisions. He issues decrees. He writes laws. He determines what's going to happen and what's going to occur. And no matter who gets into the White House, God will still be on the throne. He will still rule and reign over all of us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. I'm going to quit with this. The writer says, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Now listen to verse 16. Therefore, let us boldly come to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace. Listen, God's here offering mercy. All you have to do is ask. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. All you have to do is ask. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll reconcile you with himself. He'll turn your life around. Mercy is absolutely free. All you have to do is ask. But he said, we find grace. So here's the issue. Many folks obtain mercy. Forgive me of my sins. Change my life. But they never pursue grace. Because grace gives us the strength to stand on the rock, to face anything that comes against us, and to say, my grace is sufficient for me. In my weakness, your strength is going to shine. Oh, somebody in this room this morning, I'm talking directly to you. You need to find, you need to obtain mercy. It's free. All you have to do is say, Lord, I need mercy. I don't want to be judged for who I am. I want you to change me. Right now, I'm talking to you in the room, online. I need mercy. Throw that hand in the air. I need mercy. Throw that hand. Don't be ashamed. Stick it up high. I need mercy. I need mercy. I need mercy. I don't want to be judged for what I've done. I want it to be wiped out. I want mercy to cover me today. If your hand is up, step out right now and come. Come on. Don't wait for anybody else. Come right now. There are dozens. Step out and come this morning. Online. You need mercy. Just throw up that hand and say, God, I'm standing here. You may be alone. There may be others around you. It doesn't matter. But I'm we're going to get mercy right now. Come on, you raise your hand. Come on, come. Don't wait for anybody else. You come this morning. I need mercy. I need mercy. I don't want judgment. I want mercy. Mercy. I need mercy to cover me. I need mercy to cover me. Father, I pray for each one of these who've responded this morning. You know their hearts. You know their lives. You know what drove them to this altar this morning. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the cleansing power of Jesus Christ into their lives. Washing, renewing, transforming. Let mercy flow. Let mercy flow over men and women and teens in this room today. Over men and women and teens and children online this morning. Let mercy flow.
as we obtain mercy when we come to the throne of grace. Right now, just pray it with me, those of you who have responded. And if you should have, but you didn't, pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I ask for mercy. I don't deserve it, but you've offered it. I ask for mercy. Cleanse me. Change me. Make me the person you want me to be. Let mercy cover my life. Let mercy cover my life. I pray it in Jesus' name. And now in this room this morning, you need to find grace. You need to move from receiving mercy to finding grace. So right now, just throw your hand up and say, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I want all the jab for me. I won't settle for second best. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to press in. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I need grace today to flow into my life. I need grace that strengthens me. I need grace that makes me an overcomer. I need grace that enables me to believe your word. I need grace to make me a better husband, a better wife, a better daughter, a better son. I need grace to make me a better employer, a better employee. God, I need grace grace right now and now Holy Spirit let grace flow let it flow like a mighty river in this room let grace flow let grace flow let grace flow touch everyone that's watching this morning let grace flow into their lives right now everyone listening this morning let grace flow into their lives right now let grace flow in a powerful in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Those of you that are praying, I don't want to disturb you. If you have an element of communion cup in your hand, I want you to take it out. We're going to receive communion because this, my friend, represents our foundation. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that proclaims to you and me we can make it. We're going to survive. We're going to conquer. We're going to overcome. We're going to thrive in the power of Jesus' name. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul wasn't there at the Last Supper. But he had a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 11. He said that Jesus said to him, the same night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and said, take and eat it. This is my body broken for you. You see, we know in Pentecostal circles that it's through the stripes on Jesus' back that we receive our healing. But what you really need to understand is that everything that came through his life is for you and I today. His healing, his provision, his guidance and direction, his wisdom, everything that came through his 33 years on this life is for you today. So would you hold that little wafer up? Mine's broken pieces, but that's okay. And I want you to declare, Lord, declare it. Lord, I want everything that you've provided. Give it all to me. Not just healing, but everything you promised through your life. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Take that wafer with me. Take that cup. Jesus said to Paul, after we supped, I took the cup. 
And I said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you receive it, do it in remembrance of me. See, it's the blood that cleanses us of our sins. It's the blood that empowers us over the enemy. It's the blood that gives us hope and a future. It's the blood that's our foundation. Sorry if you don't like talking about a bloody gospel, but the gospel is bloody. Jesus Christ was beaten. His hair was plucked out of his face and his head. He was tortured and then nailed to a cross. His side was pierced. Every one of those actions was bloody and brutal and violent. And he endured it for you and for me. So when I talk about the blood, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm trying to rejoice and thank him. Thank him for what he's done for me. So if there's a need in your life of any type today, when you hold that cup in your hand, say it with me, Lord, I receive. I receive the power of your blood. Cleanse me, heal me, transform me by the power of your blood. Take that cup with me. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.